When looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Well, excuse me! Looking for good ideas for life? You're far from good hands. Hey, bud, what's your problem? If you think the listener is always right, you're far from the right place. Out of order! Even in the future, nothing works! Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, but a rebel by choice. Are you threatening me? If you want a host that floats between love and madness, and we know the night is always gonna be here anyway. Thinking of you's working up my appetite, looking forward to a little afternoon delight. Then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. Alright guys, uh, listen to some blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Hey there, Friday fans. We know how much you enjoy the movies. Enjoy grabbing your Friday merchandise and interacting with the Friday family, whether it be at conventions or during our particular watch-alongs. Well, when you're looking to get yourself masks, why not check out our friends over at Camp Blood Customs out of New York State and order your specific custom mask from any other films. All orders are made specifically. Your needs and wants are. Make sure you find Camp Blood Customs on Facebook, Instagram, and all over social media and order yours today. Hey everybody, this is Phil Vassar, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. I was lousy at mail, a failed historian. Carlene was valedictorian. I was quarterback in the back of the class. Hey folks, it's your least favorite host in the podcast world, Croc, Jonathan Steele. Boy, do we have a good one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to get into my total gimmick infringement, but this next guest has been on before, but I also want to introduce a co-host for today as usual, my Ginger Rogers to my Fred Astaire, and Dr. Mike Lano, and yes, I'm going old school because we've been going all old school history before we started recording this, but our guest has a new follow-up book to is successful in Too Sweet, but the new book we'll get into is Follow the Buzzards, Pro Wrestling in the Age of COVID-19. He is a New York Times best-selling author, Keith Elliott Greensburg. Keith, how you doing, sir? Oh, it's great to see you again. And we did see each other a few months ago at a New York Mets game, though. We did. And as I was telling uh, Mike, when we were getting ready to go waiting for you i said i'll tell you what you know i told him the story i had extra tickets i reached out to you hey i'm actually already going to the game and i'm such a fan of keith i said well be honest i'm marking out for you i'm bringing a couple books for you to sign which keith was happy to do and my friends bewilders, you know because my friends just know me as a friend they don't know this side of me so it's like why do these people want your autograph? But we were talking about, and we'll let Mike jump in too here in a second. Mike was going through the book, and obviously he's known you for a long time as well. But besides wrestling, you got books out on music. You've done things with Fox, America's Most Wanted and all. You've done stuff with CNN. You have such a broad spectrum. 
and such I've always found you to be such Are an articulate guy. You say that in front of a man who is the original Dr. Britt Baker, Dr. Michael. Yes. The, hey, you can hold your own for most people. So obviously with this new book, how's it been for you? Because obviously I know you started doing your research for it as you were still finishing up too sweet. So you're... Well, I was originally doing research for a book that I thought would be a sequel to... Um, the book on the indie wrestling revolution too sweet inside the indie wrestling revolution ends with the first uh, broadcast of dynamite and it's like okay where does the indie wrestling revolution go i mean you know before we went on air the three of us were just chatting about uh eddie einhorn uh funding the iwa in 1975 going against the power brokers of professional wrestling and you know to Ten years later, uh, bankrolling Pro Wrestling USA to still do battle with the McMahon family. So I thought the book would be more um, on that tone. What happens to indies? What happens to AEW? What happens when somebody goes against WWE? And then as I was finishing up the epilogue, COVID-19 hit a little bit prior to that. And suddenly, uh, Michael, um, M- Michael Holmes, the executive editor, and I realized, oh, this is going to be a very different kind of book. And so we get um, Follow the Buzzards, Pro Wrestling in the Age of COVID-19. And I was flipping through the book. I like that you started with a feeling of what was going on in the world politically here in the U.S., because you start off talking about the night of the election and also you were watching AEW at the time on your laptop. It was the night night that uh, Biden declared himself the victor, rather the networks declared Biden the victor. So you have all this drama going on. Um, Biden is officially declared the winner of the 2020 election. Trump is holed up in the White House, refusing to concede. And in the ring, um, Adam Cole and uh, Kenny Omega, who we've uh, known as the the second tag team champions in AEW, they've splintered and now they're wrestling each other. And uh, Eddie Kingston is challenging uh, John Moxley for the title. So I'm following what's supposed to be the fantasy world of pro wrestling and the legit world of American politics, but it gets very confused. You know, I, I say, what's reality and what's wrestling? It's hard to say. That's what's brilliant about the book, though, is I'm interrupting. I apologize. But you say, did Eddie Kingston really say the words, I quit? Was it a work? Was it a shoot? And and you're interplaying that at the exact. And I say right. And was it or was it fake news? So I'm okay. interplaying. You know what's going on in the world at large. But it's so brilliant. <laughs> so here's here's a quote that you said, and I'm I'm looking through this. I first want to ask because I can't find who is the brilliant um, artist who did the theme. ECW Press is based in Toronto, and it's the same illustration team or graphics team that did the cover for my last book. And, you know, it's so cool. And people were asking me, we sold out my local Barnes and Noble. I've been talking it up and they had three copies. They sold out in the last week. So you can't find it there. I just went and checked, talked to one of the folks there, but I've been asked, who is this on the cover? I go, that's the fiend with his arms outstretched. It's really brilliant. So here's well, what you well, it's, it's in, let's say it's inspired by a character who may be the, the theme. All right. <laughs> Keith said he ended Too Sweet in 2019, or that's when that tale ended with AEW's Dynamite set to debut. You know, three years and change, as they said last night on Rampage later. My intention was always to chronicle pro wrestling in 2020 against a backdrop of real world events. So did you have, which is brilliant, like a t- two TVs going, one with real life, hopefully mostly shoot stuff, who knows, and then our phone. I, I had a television and I had a laptop. I was watching um, 
AEW on a laptop and I was watching the news on the television. And so let me like, ask you. Yeah. I want to ask you because you'd be a primary person because you, like nobody else, you can bring all of that stuff from the territories, perhaps even as far as the at shows, you know, the 19... 20s, etc., on up to current day GCW, Billy Corgan's NWA, Court Bowers, MLW, etc. How are you time budgeting? Because many of us lament the fact, okay, we have all these shows on each night of the week, and now debuting tonight, I got a TiVo, wow, uh, Dave McLean and Jeannie Buss have done all this press, but it's on a crappy network, the old KHJ Los Angeles, at midnight. San Francisco, it's on at one in the morning on a CBS property, tiny CBS related. Remarkable, though, isn't it? It's like the territory days or the old well, like, UHF days that it's like, it's like, you know, Jerry Buss's daughter is funding it. And, you know, you know she was involved in syndication. She was involved in pro wrestling when Ron Scholar, when he we switched. I was doing his PR then and his photography. And so we're at the forum and he'd switched from AAA after he felt used by WCW for his When Worlds Collide, which the title of which got him sued by Heyman for that AAA pay-per-view that he had to utilize WCW and Bischoff's pay in-demand or on-demand network. So he switched from AAA talent. He started doing shows at the forum uh, with CMLL talent like Eddie Guerrero when WWF had let him go or something. Anyway, uh, in, in that period, but he had, to, and I was in the room with her and I got photos, you know, she had dark hair, then Jeannie Buss and Ron Scholar talking pro wrestling. Did those plant the seeds for what's going on now? But my bigger question though, how do you time budget? Like, you know, Friday night, last night we had, uh, Rampage for an hour, two hours. We had, of Smackdown. We had Smackdown for two hours. Yeah. There's, there's and, and look, you can't yeah. time budget everything. The bottom line is this: we all have lives. You know, I have a full time job, and I have other projects I work on, other freelance projects, and I have to write. So sometimes I have to write about wrestling when wrestling is on. So it's a matter of prioritizing what I will watch live, and then figuring out what I will catch up on later on. I'm sure you do the exact same thing. I mean, but I'm not doing well at it because I haven't even watched the Beatles. What is it? A three-part docu on Disney. That Club. I watched. <laughs> I haven't even been able to watch that, which is killing me or stranger things, a new season or. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, but do you still have your dental practice. No, no, I've got MS. So my brother's running it. Oh, I think you had mentioned that. So I still teach. I still teach and lecture on cosmetic dentistry and stuff. And you know, you remember my old calling card when I go to like ECW, the talent would come up. They wanted, you know, and they wanted the free dental care. They wanted no. They wanted toothbrushes and act fluoride rinse and prescription fluoride. And Look, I remember not just the talent. I remember Shun Yamaguchi, who later was a WWE. Uh, you know, a Japanese language announcer was a photographer. I remember we were at, I believe, in San Francisco or Sacramento, and he went running to your office for something. Yeah, but Sean, while he was my boss at Gong, and uh, God rest his soul, because he was an incredible guy. You remember him when he... I have, he I have a, artwork that he's done. In well, Sean did beautiful, and he's an amazing wedding photographer, which Bill Otten can do. Bill is not really shooting wrestling now. But Shun was a brilliant artist, both camera he is, and he is a brilliant artist. Yeah. Oh, he's a brilliant guy. But his brother, Wally, was such a mark for U.S. wrestling. So he's my gong editor dating back to the early 70s. But he finally came and moved to the U.S. to do that managing of Kayentai. You remember the I remember shop it, yes. Yeah. Like he, I remember it. <laughs> I cut well, before we get too far into the woods here, okay. I want to bring something up. Because I know we'll go deep. Thank you for getting us back on topic. No, no, we're, we're going to go deep into the woods here. That's fine. But I want to bring up something that you brought up before we hit record. And you got a party coming up in New York. Yes, so I do. do you want to talk and about that? Everybody's invited. Now, I don't expect, as Dr. Mike said, he's not about to get on a plane from the West Coast and attend. But... Thursday night, October 13th, everyone is invited to my New York release party. And uh, that is at Lucky 13. It is known as New York City's only metal bikini bar in Brooklyn, New York. 
party starts at 8 p.m. and will be going on indefinitely. So mark your calendars, Thursday night, October 13th at Lucky 13 in Brooklyn. And for anyone listening in the UK or, uh, you know, any of our viewers in the UK, I will be doing book signings along with the Inside the Ropes tour. I've been fortunate to be writing for Inside the Ropes magazine in the UK. And so I will be October 1st in Glasgow at the William Regal Q&A signing books. I will be October 2nd in Manchester at the William Regal uh, Q&A signing books. And I will be October 5th in London at the RVD Q&A, all with Inside the Ropes. I'll be at all those shows, and I hope to meet the fans over there. Wait, is uh, R. James Dixon, is he, what's he doing? So it's an Inside Dixon's the Ropes? not involved in this. Oh, but it's just the writers you get. Uh, no, this is Kenny McIntosh. Is, um, he's he's the uh, co-founder, the founder of Inside the Ropes magazine. And he also does these tours where he brings over legends of the squared circle and they uh, he'll rent a theater and he'll draw a nice chunk of people, hundreds of people. And uh -huh. the person will usually give a presentation for an hour or so. And uh, then the fans will ask questions and more times than not. Another legend will just kind of pop out of the audience or from behind the stage. Even at the the weekend of Ric Flair's retirement, uh, Kenny did something live for uh, Fight TV with Johnny Gargano. And again, this is when Johnny Gargano was unsigned and Dexter Loomis popped up in the audience. Wow. Wow. And now look what's from NXT to that to now Raw I, yeah, yeah. On, on Mondays. Let me just read this because it was so brilliant from the book. Very quickly, I hope this is okay to do. Sure. If the cleaner had just put away Page, meaning hangman Adam Page, with a one-winged angel, when in Wilmington, the future vice president, Kamala Harris, crossed the stage outside the Chase Center, exuberant and clad in white like the late Tim Mr. Wrestling Woods. How nuanced of Keith. And, and then a little bit further down, it's a new day. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, and, you know, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. It's Thank similar you. to... Um, what was the, the title of one of your books came from uh, that uh, song that Jimi Hendrix and uh, I was going to. Yes, what are you doing with that gun in your hand? Yeah, Hey Joe. Hey Joe, right, right. That, that was a, that, but that was a book about uh, rock and roll murders. Um, that wasn't about professional wrestling. No, but you have you are this uh, like we like I was and telling you, before we brought you on. I said how how can one guy do all of this work with Fox? And then go to the diametric opposite now with CNN, all of this brilliant headline news, HLN stuff. And so you've been doing rock and real life murders and pro wrestling. And, uh, and yeah, but you're, you're asking that question and you're you still teach dentistry and you and you're immersed in the wrestling world. So obviously you've had to figure out how to uh, achieve a certain life balance as well. Then, then I'm going to say this. Of course, I'm holding up the book, Follow the Buzzards, but your book on cause, Iron Sheik, and then the James Dean book, those two have yet to be published. Two gems. No, the James Dean book is out. That came is out it? in 20, I think it came out in 2015. The book on cause is not out. However, more and more I'm learning that there were advanced copies sent. I don't have one of them. But when I was promoting Too Sweet, a fan contacted me on social media and told me he paid $700 for one of those copies and resold it for $1,400. You'd think that somebody would just, you know, type it into a, a, a system and it would be up online. But no, apparently those, uh, th those copies are still selling and... You know, I thought WWE had buried that book, but when I was interviewed recently for an upcoming A&E biography on the Iron Sheik, uh, the producer told me, yes, yeah, uh, WWE gave us one of those advanced copies to read as we were prepping. So who knows? There was not IMDb, but another site on you said that those two books 
were brilliant gems, but neither one had been published yet. No, so no, the, the James the, Dean book has been out for okay. several years. Yeah. Wow. What I was going to say is we were watching the All Out recently as a group, and it was the same night that the A&E documentary with WrestleMania came out, the final of the this season. And I just so happened to have that on the TV as we were watching All Out over a Zoom call, and I go, I look up, oh, Keith's on TV again. You know, well, it was Howell, bizarre. You know. I, I, I purposely did not watch myself on TV because I wanted to put my entire focus on All Out. You know, and yeah, it was just funny. I looked up and go, oh, there's Keith again. And, and then, then I said, oh, maybe I'll watch it when I, when I come back. And I went back to my apartment and I started to watch a little of it, and I was tired, not realizing that at that very moment that AEW Scrum was taking place. I said, oh, I'll watch tomorrow morning. And of course, by the time I woke up in the morning, I had maybe 15 texts and you know social media messages from people about the Scrum. And uh, that occupied my attention for a good portion of the day. Nobody filmed the action outside. You talk about uh, beyond the forbidden door. I guess that door would be from the scrum to where the fighting occurred. Yeah, so that was the forbidden door. You know, <laughs> there was, like, nobody has footage of that. So the, no, no one has footage of that. Remarkably, the best part of the gossip is that alleged is that supposedly MJF was just kind of lounging and observing the whole thing. <laughs> Well, he, he may be a main beneficiary when he cashes his chip in. Yeah. <laughs> Which is insane. Wouldn't it bad way for if this is punk swan song? Because I hope it's not. No, I mean, my, myself as well. But and, and thankfully, Chris Daniels back to work, you know, and some of the other guys, because all he did was try to stop it. Yeah. I sent him a text and, uh, you know, there could not be a more professional guy on the planet than Chris Daniels. So. I mean, look, I don't know really what happened. I shouldn't be commenting on it. Um, you know, I don't want any of these guys to not be back no. at work. I mean, look, back in the day, guys used to do a lot worse backstage than push and shove. Well, Alaskan Jay York going after Johnny Valentine, who messed with yeah, his but there was good. There, there was good motive behind that, as you well know. Well, yeah, but he went after him with a shotgun. Oh, yeah, he shouldn't have had the shotgun. And Johnny Valentine shouldn't have put what what was it lighter fluid in his in in his exactly. inhaler. What about Rogers? Wait a minute. What about Johnny Valentine and Buddy Rogers with that promoter's wife who stiffed him? It wasn't Pfeffer, but they uh, they uh, the story goes and uh, Valentine told me this. And, and, and Keith, do you know that uh, Buddy Rogers' his pet name for Johnny Valentine was Booby? I don't know I if you knew that. Because John John was a breast man, and he was so fixated on women's breasts. That's what Buddy said he called him. Anyway, they apparently knocked out uh, with whatever, a Mickey or something, uh, the promoter's wife. They put her on a, a, a food giant gurney, butt naked, face down, put her in the elevator, hit lobby door. I guess someone was telling the exact time that uh, the promoter and some of his companions were coming in to see this. I don't know if you've heard that one, but no, I haven't. And imagine today, well, those that would that would be, would be those guys would be incarcerated. That would be in your the book that deals with speaking out and the Me Too uh, movement. That that's amazing too. Interweaving. Good thing there wasn't um, a board of directors in those days. Oh, oh. <laughs> Jonathan, I'm sorry. Oh no, I always appreciate being able to tell the stories and hear the stories because because obviously I'm well aware of the shotgun story with the I guess it was ribbing on the square you would call it for the time period with the inhaler then they all thought the locker room was that's the book that I was here or whatever with a shotgun. I was trying to write with Johnny called Rib, but so many ribs. And I was able to ask Fuji and some of the other participants like Dean Higuchi, Dean Ho, uh, you know, about Fuji waking up and like the promoters, very large pond, you know, butt naked, 
the boys had done that to him. You know, so then Fuji yeah, would come on after all these horrible rips. That, I mean, look, look at what Fuji did to people. Yeah, I was going to say, he had these horrible ribs done to him, and he became the master, you know, sort of like a Dynamite Kid or Kurt Hennig, you know, master of, of ribs. The funnier ones, too. But you know what? They're, those are good stories, but they're they're not nice. They are not no. nice. It's not nice to do that to people, you know. Um, no. I think it was Lanny Poffo told me that his father had an Italian expression uh, Giacco di Mani, Giacco di Villani, which is a joke that is uh, done with your hands, is the joke of a villain. And, you know, it's funny when you tease and play a mild practical joke. It isn't funny when you physically harm people or when you take their property. My opinion on that. Right. Because you mentioned about the media scrum and Right away in my head, I was thinking of the whole Dynamite Kid, Jacques Rougeau. I was there. Story that, I was there. Uh, which part at? Were you, were you there for? Were you the one when uh, I was Dynamite? There for the I didn't see okay. the beginning of the fight. And actually, I recently wrote an article for Inside the Ropes magazine in the UK, and I, I interviewed Jacques Rougeau, and we reminisced about it somewhat. But um, I did see, I saw the fight, and let me emphasize this, from a safe distance. I did not go anywhere near the fight, but I could see it clearly from the, my vantage point. Was and this the one where he got the revenge him, with yeah, the quarters? He came out of the cafeteria and he clocked them. Okay. He said he had a roll of quarters in his hand, which I didn't realize. You know, standing, you know, as far away as I was, I just assumed he jabbed him and he busted him open. So, you know, the well, Valentine book I had, just I wanted to say this. Vic Christie was a guy who used to, he and his brother Ted did gentle ribs, like picking up King Curtis, well, he was then Prince Curtis Iakea, who came into LA for the first time for Jules Strongbow. Vic is picking him up, but he had gimmicked the uh, windows so they couldn't go up and down. He turned on the heat full blast. And it was a very simple ride from Burbank, not LAX, but Burbank Airport to the Olympic Auditorium, you know, maybe 20 minutes or less. But instead, he took him the four hour route through Palm Springs and all of that. And he was willing to suffer that himself. <laughs> exactly. Just, just for the love of a rib. Now that I can't really complain about because he was putting himself through it at the same time. Well, my Valentine book, which was all horrific ribs and a lot of it involving feces and etc. I had Vic Christie write the intro, the prologue, and he was the master of the gentle, non-harmful ribs. And but there were very few guys, most of it was on the horrific side. So but we're talking follow the buzzards with Keith Elliott Greenberg. And I wanted to ask, because I again I was flipping through the book and you talk about going down to Florida for an AEW taping right before COVID hit. So what's your experience been with AEW in particular as far as I mean, being around it? I mean, it's a positive experience, just like my experience. Even though I'm no longer on retainer for WWE, I still have a relationship with WWE. In fact, the relationship has recently got, gotten better. They've been... Uh, they just interviewed me for a number of their upcoming documentaries that will be on the Peacock Network, and they're planning to interview me again for another project. Um, and AEW, you know, I put in a request to cover uh, Grand Slam uh, I, for Inside the Ropes magazine, and they got back to me within a half hour, and they said, yeah, you have a credential. Now, I It's amazing. I had also requested um, into an interview or two, and they did not come through on that. And I'm assuming that they're being very circumspect given all the gossip and innuendo that's been going on behind the scenes. Oh, so you were thinking of interviewing some of those? I wasn't going to ask them, no. I My story is going to be about... Um, the first Grand Slam as opposed to the current Grand Slam. That was 
essentially a victory lap for AEW. Uh, you know, they're overtaking WWE. They're invading. They're in the heart of New York. It's 20,000 fans. Um, you know, and, you know, Eddie Kingston at the time, when he was in the article last year, said, you know, we're not invading WWE. This is ours. It's WWE's to take. And, um, right. you know, now there have been obviously personnel changes at WWE. AEW has matured and like, Every company that matures, that means there's growing pains. And I'm curious to see who are the fans and how enthusiastic are the fans and will they live up to what they're expected to do? My gut feeling tells me they will. And let's see what happens. You could write about just weeks after Serena is at arguably her last tennis game there. Now historic with AEW coming in and, you know. That's well, it's not going to like, you know, I am not writing their obituary like this is their last stand in in Queens. You know, I have a feeling they'll be back in New York City. Oh, they're all guns blazing now. They, the TV's been better than ever. They're just bringing, you know, when... Oh, their TV's great and their ratings are great. Their ratings have gotten better since that media scrum. So maybe it was good. I, I was throwing this at Bully Ray was if uh, somebody who is in quite a bit follow the buzzards, Cody Reynolds, Cody Rhodes... Had he not left AEW because he was such a, you know, his whole thing is mastering corporate stuff and being professional, would that post-scrum stuff even have occurred had Cody been there sort of a voice? That's a really great question, and we don't know. That's like saying that um, if Vince McMahon Sr. chose uh, not to have the young Vincent Kennedy McMahon live with him. <laughs> would, would, would the territory system still exist? Wow. And or, or rather reconcile with him. But how topical, because we're just weeks away from Dwayne and Brian Gewirtz thing with the, the two vice producers coming up. I don't know how many eps of that. I've only supplied photos for a few of them. But the territories stock you. I mean, how many U.S. territories? Wasn't there 34 to 36, not including the two in Montreal when they were feuding in the 70s? Well, were they both NWA affiliated, though? Were they, were they, or when we're talking about the NWA, there were about two dozen. But were they, the two in Montreal, were any NWA affiliated? No, they were more. Well, the Montreal one was affiliated with Gagne and Bruiser, so AWA and WWA. Right. They, I think that's like the Sheik, Bruiser. Yeah. Um, and right, that's right. It's in Brian Solomon's book on the original Sheik. You're, you're in there, too. You know that? <laughs> well, uh, you're, you're cool. Blassie you're thing, cool. we talked, we talked a, a bunch. I was just telling Jonathan that there was a Blassie brother right after the sailor Fred Blassie stuff. And, you know, nobody's a more of a master than Fred Blassie than Keith Elliott Greenberg, but so many little things. And here's a nugget that I had to correct, or I told uh, uh, Dave LaGreca busted open. And, and so we have that, we have, I asked you about time budgeting, but then we have streaming services of New right. Japan World. And then we have podcasts, you know, incredible, Jim Ross, Cornette, Chris Jericho, a zillion, but three hours daily of busted open. So I, Dave LaGreca busted open is going, oh, I really miss that blue uh, cage WWF had in WrestleMania two with Hogan and, and King Kong Bundy. Bundy. And I tell him, you know where that cage came from? Vince Jr. bought, his first territory, his first foray, December 82, December 8th, 1982, he buys Mike LaBelle's office, my boss, and that's where the blue, the powder sky blue cage came from, the Freddie Blassie cage. I didn't know that, but that's great to know. They got rid of it because it was so stiff. It had replaced the wood and metal cage. Actually, Blassie and Tolis had all those feuds in 70 through 71 and all of that stuff. That was a rickety, and Fred even said it was felt scared. He didn't like climbing that thing. So then they have this strict rigid, but it was unrelenting. And so the guys that were in that cage, most notably Piper and Chavo Guerrero, they hated it. And that's what, and so they, I don't know how long they used it afterwards, but WWF got rid of that. And they had many, you know, zillions of cages, the Thunderdome or not the Thunderdome, but that big structure, the thing that Foley and the Undertaker had the, you know, all of that stuff. Hell in a Cell, that that structure. Yeah. Jonathan, I better yeah. turn it back to you. Yeah, we should. But uh, this is show. 
Yeah, it's fine. I enjoy hearing his stories and telling stories from obviously second and third hand and such. But to answer Mug's question about the blue cage, as as far as I can remember, one of the last times seeing that particular cage was SummerSlam '94 when it was Brett versus Owen in Chicago. But did they use the blue cage? They did use the blue cage. Oh. That's the Blassie cage. We renamed it that, although Fred only worked one match in it, a tag match. It came from L.A. It was the Freddie Blassie cage, whether it was the original cage or not. Just like the uh, championship that ended up in, was it Johnny Barron's home? <laughs> wasn't, there, wasn't there a championship that ended up in, John, that was a Buddy Rogers belt that ended in, up in upstate, what was it, Akron, New York, or upstate Buffalo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, and wait, did it end up with Dottie Curtis? Maybe. She's yeah. very active on social media. Yeah, it may have ended up somehow in her possession. I don't know how it was passed around. Oh, let me tell you this. On the Missouri territory, very quickly, uh, Pat O'Connor bought the territory. Then he fused with Sam's number two guy, Larry Matisic, the Battle of St. Louis. It didn't last too long. But when he died... His widow, Julie O'Connor, had the Missouri State Belt and the Central States Tag Belts. And the late, famous, infamous Harry White, longtime fan, you know, Mr. St. Louis historian, he passed away. But he was able to, in a moment of weakness with uh, Pat O'Connor's widow, Julie, she gave him all of this stuff. So he ended up before, this was in 92, he sells the Missouri State title to a mark in Japan. And a bunch of us are nagging Harry not to do it, to give it to the Mike Chapman Iowa Museum with this now Fez Tragus, something for everybody to enjoy. Not so it's in some guy's basement in Japan, a millionaire. And the central states tag belts of Bob Geigel's office that were part of Munchnik's. Anyway, that ended up with historian, Portland historian. At least it's with a good guy who's going to donate it to Fez Tragus, Mike Rogers, who you know. Well, that which is great. I mean, and that's where it should be. Because the, the, those things should be appreciated. Interestingly, exactly. if you go to Jerry Lawler's restaurant in Memphis, there's some really cool memorabilia there. And I believe his AWA championship is in there. Nobody found, remember when the Vern's original AWA belt got stolen and he tried replicating it but never could? But the original most beautiful AWA belt, some Mark stole. It was just sitting on a table during the match. And somebody walked off with it. Mm. Well, wasn't there, um, I think my favorite story with the AWA belt involves Stan Hansen putting oh, yeah. it over with his pickup before returning it. He destroyed it and then returned it in a box to burn. Oh, boy. But, but the book is so brilliant. How Was it your idea or Mike Holmes to, or both of you together, I'm thinking it was your idea to intersperse real-life world that was my idea. That was my idea. It's brilliant. That was my idea from the beginning. And, you know, if you read the book and saw the miniseries, The Bronx is Burning, the, the miniseries is really, it's about the 1977 Yankees, but it's interspersed with, you know, uh, the New York City blackout and Son of Sam and everything else that was going on in the city in 1977. And so this seemed to be a natural. So you have the American presidential election and you have Brexit. And of course, you have COVID everywhere. And so uh, I just thought it was, uh, you know, that that's what was going on in the world. And it was impacting everything, including professional wrestling. And, and one, one point that I make in the book is that remarkably, Neither WWE or AEW once uh, invoked the name Donald Trump. Well, I'm curious to know, and you mentioned right before we hit record, you were starting the process of putting this book together and wrapping up uh, too sweet, but you realized you were going to have to change directions because just the world that we were getting into with COVID, starting to poke its head out of the closet, and just things were going in a different direction than any of us expected. So what was that process like for you to go? Well, it was, maybe it, I should tell this story. We didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so, you know, I was living, we were all living this story 
We were living through COVID. We all experienced the uncertainty, every one of us, and the three of us are wrestling fans. So we were living as wrestling fans and human beings through COVID and the American presidential election, or if you were in the UK, Brexit, all of that other stuff was going on. You know, in the UK, they essentially canceled Christmas in a chunk of the country. Uh, they limited the amount of people who could attend Christmas celebrations. So, um, you know, that's people's day-to-day -day lives. I guess the equivalent would be if you were like fighting in a war and still following your favorite sport or listening to your favorite music. I just want to say something very quickly. It's part of the book. Of course, we're talking to Keith Elliott Greenberg, brilliant author of many, many books, not just pro wrestling, but John Lennon. When Evan and I couldn't stop talking about your John Lennon book, but Follow the Buzzards is the book. I have never seen a British invasion in the last few years where it's exploded. Maybe late 60s with Billy Robinson, then Judo Al Hayes, not Lord Al Hayes, but Judo Al Hayes. Uh, Mick McManus, one of the greatest heels, no matter the country. But now with the Zack Sabres and the Will Ospreys, all of these brilliant talents. Um, it's and, and you know I'm thinking had this had the Queen passed and you were still writing this book, you might have been able to interweave some of that because I, I might have. But fortunately, I finished the book beforehand because at a certain stage I just had to cut it off. And I didn't know when that stage was because I didn't know where it was all going to go. And so by January of this year, it's like, okay, we've been vaccinated. If you've chosen to get vaccinated, um, there are live crowds again. There is a new person in the White House. Brexit has happened. I think now we can say we're going to be living with COVID for perhaps indefinitely, but the story of the pandemic has kind of come to a close. And so I felt I can cut it off and it, it ends with um, uh, the WWE uh, pay-per-view on January 1st, 2022, where Roman Reigns contracts COVID. And nonetheless, WWE, they, Improvise, they scramble. Uh, Lesnar emerges from this this event with the championship and the road to WrestleMania soldiers on. And essentially, that's how it's going to be done. When we may be living with COVID, but if COVID's here and professional wrestling is here, we'll be okay. Yeah, and I'm curious to know with that it, you bring that up about closing a book, and I ask usually musicians this because especially because a lot of them are singer songwriters that I have the fortune to talk to but with any of your projects whether it be follow the buzzards the Lennon book the too sweet whatever the projects you were working on how do you know okay it's time to put this to bed I don't know go for it. a good question and I don't know I don't know until I force myself that now is the time, especially this, because, you know, history and wrestling were all unfolding as I was writing this. And so at a certain stage, I just had to say, this is the cutoff. I can't go past this. It's like if you're working on a documentary about the Trump years, maybe more revelations will come out. So maybe you say, well, I'll give it another year see what comes of these investigations. But as a certain, at a certain stage, you may say, okay, more might be revealed later. Right now, we have to get this thing to bed and we have to, we have to mass produce something. And ECW Press needed a book and I wanted to be done writing a book. <laughs> I wanted to move on and do other things. So, you know, I'm enjoying promoting the book now. Well, you can do a third, like your Sgt. Pepper's leading into the White Album. You can do like a third in the story. And again, this book, 
How many years, Keith, have you and I, since the 50s or maybe early 60s, have heard, oh, pro wrestling is a microcosm of the world or society at large? I've been hearing it since, since I heard the word microcosm. That's what you've done in this book. You brought it to physical page. Thank you. That's saying. Thank you. It's important. This is an important book. The, I thought Too Sweet was awesome. This is more important, too. And they're both great. So go out and buy them. The holidays are coming up no matter what you celebrate. So buy them both as a collective tag team. Was there something you learned during the process of putting this book together that surprised you as someone who's followed the business for so many years, Keith? Um, I just think I was surprised at how resourceful uh, the wrestling, wrestling promoters can be on every level. If you're at the level of WWE, the resourcefulness means um, bringing the cinematic match to the forefront. As we know, there's been the boiler room brawl. The cinematic match isn't a new invention, but uh, WWE needed that cinematic match in, for WrestleMania 36, when, um, which was taped for the first time, not live, at, at the Performance Center. And they created the Thunderdome. And... You know, AEW gave us the stadium stampede using their resources. They have access to that football stadium. The family owns it. And then GCW, they were doing shows in the daytime at in a park in Indianapolis with social distancing. And Warrior Wrestling in Chicago Heights uh, were having matches on the high school football field, and they could spread people throughout the bleachers in the field. And so it was relatively safe. This is before there were vaccines. And so, you know, and, and Dirty Ron McDonald with the fist promotion in San Diego had um, drive-in matches. Yeah. So, you know, these are, you know, there was a promotion I dealt with in Finland they did a, um, a, a, a match in an old oil refinery. There was essentially an empty arena match, but the setting was so dramatic and the echoing was so dramatic. This is not a company with a lot of money and they made the most with what they had. And I guess that means that as long as they're human beings, there are going to be people who love their professional wrestling and they're going to find a way to create it. AEW was and, Brian Daly's place because you had the wrestlers around the ring act like fans and create fan noise. And But they were enthusiastic. I yeah. don't feel, right. you know, to use a misused word, there was nothing fake about it. Those, those wrestlers were enthusiastic. You could see on their faces they were having a good time. So do you think and agree this is perhaps one of the best times ever to follow and love this business. Yes, it is. It's amazing. And, and, and look, GCW is getting less bloody while up until a few weeks ago, AEW is getting far bloodier. Every single John Moxley match, he seemed to bleed like a flare in TNA. Right. It's so funny. And here's Moxley. And I've been writing about this in Inside the Ropes, who, you know, navigates both the GCW world and the AEW world. And, you know, I see him backstage at GCW and he is into it. And so he is loving being a wrestler the way we're loving being a wrestling fan. And, you know, Mike, you and I are a little older than a lot of people listening to this. And instead of saying, bring back Bruno, we're enjoying this period too. Oh. Yeah, bring back, well, bring Will Osprey back, back to the U.S. as soon as possible. Yeah. That's my favorite guy on the planet. He and Okada right now. Yeah. Well, I so, say that timing-wise, look at the fun stuff. This just came out, I mean, like a week or two ago, but they don't have her new uh, SmackDown name of, you know, they, 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 using the same letter for first and last name, which Vince Jr., I mean, I guess it must have started with Vince Sr. creating Hulk Hogan, that name. That Vince, all of these come-and-go female interviewers in the back that have, like, I don't know, the, the B for the first name, B for the last name. And so they switched, but the figure is Raquel Gonzalez, and it just came out. So the timing is always weird. And I have to give equal time. Uh, Lionheart, they're more on top of it. The Lionheart figures have been out a month. 
from AEW's great action figure line. These action figures, they're spitting them out, although they did misstep. This just came out, <laughs> Cody, uh, AEW figure. I remember when I, when I wrote for WWE's magazines, um, there was a period where Marty Jannetty and Jake the Snake Roberts had left, and uh, they, they were both returned. And I was, I may have been in the office, and somebody said, here's a bunch of merch. Go ahead, just take, take as much as you like. <laughs> uh. Well, I'm sitting here thinking because of uh, Mike showing the Lionheart figure. And I'm curious to know, as a final question for you guys, both of you guys can actually answer this. And I was thinking about this the other day with Jericho specifically. And that being, he has been a guy that can evolution, or what's the word I'm thinking of? Revolutionary. He, yes, and evolve. Yes, he has. And over the years where he has experience to draw from where a lot of the younger guys today don't have that. So what does the future hold for the business? I mean, I think that that's a good question. And I also think that Chris Jericho will be an example, just like, you know, I'm sure Will Ospreay watched Dynamite Kid matches, and uh, he probably watched Tatsumi Fujinami matches. Um, You know, people set trends and become his they become pioneers and the way that chris jericho has successfully reinvented himself over the years is inspiring and realize he didn't just invent a promoter didn't invent him he invented himself and i think that's a, a message to the young talent to take charge of your career exactly Oh, and by the way, too, your third book, you could easily, I mean, who better than Keith to tackle Life Post Vince Jr.? We'll see. That would be, (laughs) and tie that into world events, too. Like, you know, the midterms are coming up and they really are hitting on the fact these are the most important midterms in our lifetime, perhaps ever. And, you know, Vince, whoever thought that was going to happen, we'd ever see Vince Jr. gone. Um, And it's more exciting. I hate to say it, but Hunter's product, I'm jazzed. I don't fast forward. We all are. We're we're all jazzed by Hunter's product. Not fast forwarding to a second of Raw or SmackDown. No, it's exciting to watch, and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm always ready to be surprised. Keith, what's next for you? I'm not sure. I was asked that today in another interview. I'm waiting to see, just like we are. We're watching to see. It, we're in a period of transition, and uh, I don't know what the story is going to be. Oh, who are you picking then, Moxley or Brian Danielson? I mean, um, I think Danielson. Not that I have no inside information. I just think Danielson. I think, uh, you know, he's deserving of that honor, and Moxley can always have the title again. And he's already the face of the company at this point, Moxley is. So Danielson create another face. They, they, I've never seen a promotion when everybody is up to speed and healthy. Have you ever seen a talent pool like Tony Khan has? It's pretty impressive. And go-to people, New Japan, are bringing in some impact stars. Like, uh, uh, well, like, 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 like the Motor City Machine Guns. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. European talent. You know, I wish Britt Baker didn't have heat with B Priestley because I'd love to see B Priestley back. From the UK, that's Will Osprey's better half. Well, the book is Follow the Buzzards, and it is it should belong on everybody's, I mean, come on, it belongs in everybody's library. The holidays are coming up, and some of you guys are still stuck at home and maybe not attending shows, but uh, it really gets our highest recommendations, as, as uh, all of Keith's books. But thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. I want to mention this again, since we're talking other books, and I know I've told you this on multiple occasions, Keith, I always enjoyed the Jeff Healy story that you told Thank me. You. Thank you. And you did tell me that. Well, and I passed that on to Tom Stephen, Jeff Healy's drummer, and he was greatly appreciative. Yes, because it's funny. I did a, I guess, a 
full episode talking on the history of Jeff, because I'm a big blues guy. And that was one of my early, I guess you would call it like a documentary type episodes that I tried to do and had an opportunity to speak with his widow and his manager and stuff. I wish I had a chance to talk to Mr. Stevens, but it didn't work out at the time. But I was so thrilled to be able to read you know, that Thank book you. that you were involved with. So. And, and Tom, Tom is gratified whenever he hears that. Because to for those who don't know what we're talking about, the Jeff Healy band, legendary uh, blues rock band, um, you know, the late Jeff Healy's drummer, Tom Steven and I wrote a book together, I think came out in 2017. Also published by ECW Press. Who, who published your book on Brian Jones, though, the former great? Uh, no, that was, uh, that, that was, um, well, it, it, it. It's Backbeat Publications, which um, now is part of, I should know, they send me a royalty check sometimes. They're, they're a company out of, uh, I could look it up on my phone. They, 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 the ownership has changed so much that uh, I, 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 getting the name of the, of the company. The mergers and all of these things happening, that's ongoing. Yeah, yeah but... Uh, you know, and I, I do talk to them about other ideas, too. Let me just make sure I... For those who don't know, Mick Jones was part of the Rolling Stones in the classic 60s years. Yeah, okay, Backbeat. Uh, I, I still have their old address. Anyway, it's Backbeat Books. It's still an imprint. That's uh, definitely uh, I will definitely be throwing links to the book via Amazon, Barnes and Noble and such. But is there any other spots people can find what you're doing or even communicate with you to talk? I, to you know what? I'm going to tell everybody. I mean, they can, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And, um, you know, I recommend uh, to wrestling fans to get a hold of Inside the Ropes magazine in, in the UK. I'm really proud of being uh, affiliated with that. It's occasionally sold in Barnes & Noble the way... Uh, no, they're sold in Barnes & Noble around the United States. Because James Dixon started Russell Talk, left that to form this one, and it has the biggest... No, James Dixon is not involved in this. It's Dante Richardson. Oh, okay. Don, that's what I'm talking about. So, okay. Well, Dante, but didn't he start Russell Talk? Now he has... What I'm saying is the greatest group of superstars from Napolitano primarily doing the photos to you, so many others. Finn uh, Martin, Finlay Martin, who's in terms of like British wrestling writers, he's, he's, you know, he's in the hall of fame. So and, it, it is amazing. It's amazing publication. You can find it because they're right on top. Whereas uh, pro wrestling illustrated the wrestler inside wrestling sometimes might be two to three months behind Inside the ropes, maybe two to three weeks, boom, you know. Right. Right Again, up. once you get it in the US, it's a couple of weeks behind. But in um in the UK it's 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 current. But again, you can get it here and it's a good read. And Brian right. Solomon, who wrote who writes for PWI and also uh, wrote Blood and Fire about the original Sheik, he's he writes for them all the time as well. Yeah, that's great. Right on. Great guy as well. Keith is the, the renaissance man of pro wrestling on multiple levels. Can't, you know, you can talk about any subject, not just wrestling. But thank you. And I want to mention again, as we close, October 13th, Lucky October 13th. 13th, Lucky 13 in Brooklyn. You, can, you are all invited. Everybody with an earshot of me is invited to my book release party. And I hope, Jonathan, I hope to see you there. I am definitely coming to that, and I will be on the R train to Union Street to be okay. able to attend this. Beautiful, beautiful, and bring anyone you like. You need to we'll tell us and put it on Fight Network. Yeah, party. Oh jeez. <laughs> I will. Oh, you know what? Mike Weber will be invited, so maybe I'll suggest it to him. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Thank Come you so much. Combate Curasai.
Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, all right? I need help. E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh, my God. Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. You're naughty. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. How's it going, guys? This is Amy Dumas. You guys might know me as Rita, and you are listening to Crazy Train Radio. 